0: Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite.
1: This episode is powered by denmeditation.com, with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Hi, welcome to Den Talks. This is Tal, and I'm with Diana Christensen, who's been teaching yoga for over 20 years. Unfortunately, a little over a year ago, she lost her husband only 48 days after his cancer diagnosis. This has inspired her to spread the message of how important living a life full of love and gratitude is. If you've experienced grief or know someone going through it, this episode is for you. Frankly, if you just want to be taking advantage of every single day of life, this episode is also for you. She's so open about the pain and love she felt while caring for her husband in his last days. And we talk about the beauty that also exists in the passing of someone— and how joy and suffering are all mixed together, not only in loss, but in every single day of our existence, and how we can personally show up for it and be present. An interesting topic that comes out of this conversation is how our smallest thoughts actually represent our entire existence, so it's important to practice positivity. She gives us so many little practices that many of us can do every single day, and it teaches us how to shift our perspective and see the light versus the dark, even in the darkest times. So at the end of this, you're not only going to leave with the notion that life is short and we need to embrace it at the highest level, but you're also going to know exactly how you can begin doing that. It's a really beautiful, raw, open conversation, and I'm honored that she was so just honest with us. So, wow, I'm so happy to have you here. You were such an accomplished teacher and... I'm just really, really, really happy to have you here. And I want to start kind of with the Love Big project. Okay. Because I think there's something so amazing that you almost have to put a project out there to remind people to that this life is precious. So, And I always find that fascinating that we do constantly have to remind people. I mean, people go into practice for it every day. But yet, isn't that one of the things we were all raised with? It's like, you live once. Like, make sure you take advantage. Don't miss that. I feel like we hear this stuff all the time even if it's flippantly but yet why is it that sometimes it takes something as big as losing your partner um, to make you be like oh no no people have to pay more attention to this like why don't we do
2: this every day it's the question that I'm compelled to ask everyone and ask myself I think that it's our human condition that we start to just get involved with our day and our life and and, and all the things that we have to do to sustain ourselves and and it's the very most important thing that we need, like breath that we forget about. it's and and how precious and limited our time is here, that we actually get so busy and everything else that we we do. we forget about that. And so I believe that we need to find little practices and and little ways through meditation and through, um, sort of little cognitive behavioral things that I've come up with in my own spirituality that that keep me fresh and keep me present. One of my favorite quotes is by one of my favorite authors named Annie Dillard, and she said, "How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives." And I think That's about amazing. this all the time because we 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 get caught up in like the year or the the bigger the big nuts of life, or whatever, rather than focusing our attention, which is what meditation gives us, on the moments. Like, how am I spending this moment with you?
1: And it's also interesting if people would look at that, if, if you take that just as a statement, the moment equals your life, how people would change how they look at all of those moments. And also just pause for a second and realize there's moments happening. Because I think a lot of people don't do that too. you. You let it go because you are so, like you said, focused on...
2: The years of the future that you don't even realize there's actually moments happening all the time yeah right now um so and i believe that it's one thing to know that like like you said like okay i know that and i'm a fairly conscious person and i know that but i still like i just get wrapped up in you know in yoga we we refer to ourselves as krihastas you know and that translates to householders and it means that I'm not a monk or recluse or sannyasi that meditates all day on impermanence and life and prayer for others and whatnot. Like I've got to go drive my car and I got to put gas <laughs> and I had to figure out how to get to the studio today and I was nervous on the California freeways and um, so I'm a householder means like I have to keep my family together. I have to keep this community running. That's that's what we do. We devote. A certain amount of our time to our spiritual practice and then when then we're living this grihasta life and so i feel like it's so important that we just have these little practices throughout in the morning in the evening or throughout the day that just kind of bring us back to We know what's most important. What is most precious to us? And how can I bring that into driving my car to Los Angeles? How can I bring that to this phone conversation that I'm going to have at work? How can I bring this to putting gas in my car so that nothing is separate from that? It becomes part of my fiber.
1: Yes, your practice is your daily life. How... So let's talk about Richard, your, your amazing beloved one. You guys were together for, as you told me before, three very precious years. Yes, three years. And then, I mean, I would love for you to repeat it here. You said, I asked if you guys were married or not married, and and you said you, I'm just going to let you tell the story yeah. better than me. It, you know, it's,
2: <laughs> it's interesting because when people, when I refer to Richard, if people don't know him, then usually we give some, we say, my husband, my fiance, my partner, and... Uh, when I was doing some writing around um us, I, I I, wrote this long thing about you're my friend, you're my lover, you're my <sighs> he was all of that. Yeah. You know? So the week before he died, we had um his Buddhist teachers. He was a Zochen practitioner and his teacher was Lama Surya Das, who loved Richard. And um, his two teachers in Orange County were so present for um, the time that we had together when we knew he had cancer and we had a wedding date set and as it got closer I just realized we weren't going to make that date and um, Richard was cute because I would tell him I'm like honey you think we could move the wedding date up a little bit and you know like why don't we have it like next week and he would say why why are you worried I'm gonna die he's like no I feel fine and but we we didn't make that date that we had planned. But instead, his his wonderful teachers came to our home, and we just had a little ceremony around his bed, and um, and it was perfect. So I can say we were married. It's fine. I mean, I totally understand that because my I always call my
1: husband slash boyfriend, and sometimes people think I'm talking about two different people, which looks a right. little racy. And we're not officially married either but he's my like I call him my husband often just like he calls me wife and sometimes I refer to him as my boyfriend and I said similar to like what you said I it used to bother him that I would still call him boyfriend and I'd be like I actually love it like I love that sometimes you're just my boyfriend like I think there's something really nice about that and sometimes you're my husband and I think you're all those things in between the fact that we still get to have that like I love that like I don't think that's a bad thing so I totally understand when you especially when you got choked up he was all those things that's yes, beautiful.
2: all those things. We it tell me more say, about him
1: because he sounds like he was an amazing man.
2: He's so so unique, and and um, he was. He, I always told Richard this. I'm like, you are such a unique, amazing man. He was able to hold these two worlds, and you know, when I first met him, he was a yoga practitioner, so he was going to Bikram and kind of um, transferred over to Ashtanga. And I always said I would never date a yoga student, but there you have it. That's how I met him. And um, But I found him fascinating because he was really, his number one practice was Dzogchen Buddhism. And he woke up every morning and did his chants. He'd memorized all the Tibetan chants. He did his meditations. He studied with Lama Sura Das at least um, once a year. Did his own um, silent meditations on his own. He went to his Sangha, his spiritual community practice with his teachers in Orange County once a week. Um, after a long day of teaching, he was a school teacher and a, a football coach, and he would have 12 hour days and he would still get to his meditation, which I loved. So this other part of Richard was that he played college football for USC, he was a lineman, and, um, and he coached kids, he, he coached high school football. And and, and, and you know, there was challenges with that for him, like believing in compassion and love and also, you know, teaching kids to, you know, smash into the one across from you. And, <laughs> uh, but I love how he he struggled with that and also, like, just knowing what he meant to those young men and what a leader he was to them. Without them ever knowing that he was a Buddhist practitioner, it was just the way he chose to show up. A very quiet but very very loving and just very powerful presence so talk
1: to me about you know he got his diagnosis brain cancer and it was 48 days from the day of the diagnosis to passing how do you feel like both of you are clearly practitioners of meditation and yoga and you practice all of these ideas of present moment did that diagnosis awaken things in you that you thought you were practicing like was it did it surprise you or did your practice really help you get through it
2: the practice, of course, I think, is what supports us through any of the challenges we're faced with, including our own immortality or the person we love leaving us. Um,
1: like, how did he do with it? Like, knowing he had forty-eight days. Like,
2: how long did he think he had? When- he thought he was going to live for years. He glioblastoma is not a good diagnosis. It was all the different types of brain cancer. I had looked into it just enough to know that's the one we didn't want to have. And, and the doctors were kind, I think they let us know that there was no, um, there was no treatment for it. And in the sense that I shouldn't say that there would not do any, um, surgically remove it. You couldn't. So we could have gone to chemotherapy and knowing that that was, you know, going to take some of the quality of life. And, and he chose not to, he chose for whatever time he had, he wanted to use different, like alternative, um, choices that we made around it. But, um. But he, at first, was really out, coming out of it strong. And and I remember the first two weeks, he could still walk. And we were walking the neighborhood very slowly because he was very dizzy and uh, holding hands, walking through our neighborhood. And he, he stopped and he said, I want you to know that if, if I can't fight this, if I can't, you know, I'm going to be okay because I've prepared my whole life for this. And in a sense, he really had. He studied Chen and was very interested in the Tibetan book of living and dying. And even while he was the last few weeks, I would get out his copy and it was filled with his notes and his underlined and, and, and interesting other books like by Thich Han or Carlos Castaneda. It's like whatever book I pulled off his shelf, there seemed to be something on death or impermanence. And even he wrote his own like little autobiography at some point. And in there he talked about how he used to practice imagining if he had a terminal illness, how would he live today? So he, I mean, wow. he, interestingly enough, had... What he said was, if, if a soul could somehow know they weren't going to live to be he old, knew. I felt like his soul knew it. And was preparing. I mean, we all have different ideas about that. But I, I, for me, it really wow. changed my own belief system on, um, you know, who knows? It's still a great mystery for all of us in our own spiritual practices. Grief or death. Death. Like, what, you know, there's so many questions around that. So, but he, he, I felt like he was prepared, and yet, when we were together, he was just like, I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. And then it went fast. It went so fast. It, um, so after the first two weeks, he had to go back into the hospital, and at that point, I really thought I had lost Richard, but... It was sort of miraculous, really, that he recovered enough to um, come to our home. And uh, we got a hospital bed and had it put in our living room facing the ocean. It's like this little tree house. And we got to spend four more weeks together there. And I can tell you that walking someone through death is one of the hardest things you could ever possibly do seeing the body change the mind change um, being a caregiver like the specifics of caring for a body and loving someone and yet being their caregiver
1: do you feel like you'd have to switch in and out of like different parts of you or could you be fully present did you
2: that's a great question but I I, want to finish this part and say because this is so important to say it is the hardest thing I've ever done and it is the most beautiful thing i have ever done is to be with him through his his process of dying and to take that last breath with him i wouldn't change it for anything no it's such an honor it's such an honor and i want to say that to anyone who's listening to us today like we're afraid of that we're afraid for the people we love to die we're afraid to die on some level but we are all going to and to to be loved is the greatest gift and um I think to answer your other question, you are, I was so present in the moments. And some moments are just like, oh my gosh, uh, we've got to get a medication, or um, are you comfortable right now? Or um, where you just, you're, you're living in your sympathetic nervous system, you're in fight or flight, you know, just present with that person. And I think having a practice like yoga and meditation and a spiritual practice. It supports that. So you really can be in one moment caring for someone's physical needs and at the same time showing up and loving them from a deeper place too. Like just, I felt like he knew he was surrounded by love, you know, in, in all the difficult moments too. Like just knowing someone loves you through this is powerful stuff.
1: Did when after he passed, like you said, you're in a different state, you're like in fight or flight mode. So when that, Energy goes away, and all of a sudden, you're probably very depleted because you know your adrenaline ran through. How did all of a sudden, how did the reality of him not being there change everything for you?
2: So, that's in the griefing process, and, and I think it, it's there's stages of it, I'm sure. Um, there's so many wonderful books written, but my personal process was this. I tried to honor his Buddhist uh, traditions, and so um, after he passed, uh, in the Dzogchen tradition, he would keep the body for three days. And, and I wasn't able to do that, but to stay, to have him stay longer after he was unconscious for two days, so to be with him for those two days was amazing. I felt like his spirit was still in the house, but like processing things. And then when he took his last breath, I took it with him. I was right there holding his face. And that moment and all the moments since then have been a mixed bag of how I described his death, right? Like the hardest thing and yet also the most beautiful thing. Like my moments today are still filled with, it's not fair, I miss him. Um, And also, I am so lucky to have had the kind of love I felt with Richard. It's like the, I could live on those fumes for a lifetime. You know, that's, it's, it's really such an amazing gift.
1: I mean, I think what you just said is actually really important. You just said I could live on the fumes of how lucky I was to even have it. Which I think is like one of the biggest balances and questions in life, period. It's like, what's worth the pain? Right. Because nothing comes for free with, for a lack of better terminology. It's so, and I think some people, that's why some people stay away from relationships because the idea of like the breakups is so much worse than even entering and having the love. So so
2: true. Being hurt by another person. Yeah. Or- and I mean,
1: so, you know, a lot of stuff that you practice is, you know, to, in, in a lot of your 30 day meditation is about impermanence and getting people comfortable with the idea of impermanence. Like let's chat a little bit about that because impermanence can have a very scary and painful connotation to it. For a lot of people, I think it stirs up, which it shouldn't, because there's nothing about the word itself that is connected to anything negative, but something about society has made the idea of something not being permanent negative. So what do you, which I find fascinating, like when you really think about it. So what do you think it is about us as a whole in society that struggles with the idea of impermanence so to the to the great to the effect of death is like you said really scary for people whether it's about their own death or one of a loved one um, what do you think it is about that and how can we slowly literally change the way our brain processes it in our emotional state to be able to accept it in a beautiful way
2: well <laughs> <laughs> take that <one> as <laughs> okay well I have to tell you that I am compelled we at I have a yoga school, the Yoga means School, and so every semester we study something different. And uh, last semester was Joseph Campbell's A Hero's Journey. And I feel, I, w- I was telling the students, like, in, in Joseph Campbell's teachings, he said, there's that thing that you can't not not do. That's your passion. You follow your bliss, you know, this kind of thing. And after Richard's passing, I just... Uh, backing up a little bit I, I was in retreat for three days with in my house without leaving as part of my practice um, and it was beautiful I wouldn't trade doing that any any other way and then there was another 49 days which is part of the Buddhist tradition where I was in semi-retreat where I started teaching a little bit but, um, but I kept coming back to the house and didn't do social things or some of the normal things I would um, do and I was compelled. So this was a thing I can't not not do. Is I would wake up compelled to tell anyone that would listen that life is short, and that if you are lucky enough to be loved and to love, to embrace that, to embrace that to the highest level that you possibly can. And I was so compelled by this that I started doing things like writing the Love Big Journal and you know writing these other things, which led into the One Precious Life. But it just became this passion for me to share it. For first off, to thank you f- to to share with people death, to be able to talk about impermanence, to be able to talk about that because it's it's not comfortable for a lot of people. Um, so I think that's a beautiful just for you and I to have this opportunity. Um, and so I I feel like I'm just kind of being guided and also looking for opportunities to just share this passion that I have to just say you know. We don't get to do this forever. I, I'm fortunate that I get to be Diana in this body, and I have this experience. But I know that I'm going to give this body up one day, yeah. and so this, it's just, you know. And 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 I tell my students when they do the one precious life meditation, when I think of five people that you absolutely adore. So let's do that. Let's Kay. think of five people we absolutely adore. Kay. And I want you to think of the first person that came up on your list. Okay. And I want you just to sit with this thought. One of you will leave first. But you don't know when. We don't know if we have a day together, a year together, or we get to grow old and wrinkled and wise and be in our 80s together. But you and that person have a relationship that is impermanent. It doesn't last forever. Then when I when I do this practice, we we um, we look c- closer at this this idea of of the gift that a relationship is, you know, and um, and how like we were talking about earlier how we get involved in daily like, honey, you didn't do this or, you know, whoever this one is, your your mother or your you know how we get involved in the little in natterings of the day. I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it one. I like it. Um, <laughs> And so, if we can move this more into a practice where you just stop and and realize, like, hey, I don't get to be with you forever. So, how do I want to be with you today? It's a it's a it's a a game. The the students who have done this with me. So, I have done this with small groups at my yoga school, and I have done it at the um, Ashtanga Yoga Confluence with 250 people uh, in Montana. Like, I've been sort of like as a traveling thing right now. Yeah. And the feedback I'm getting from so many people is how it has shifted the way they're showing up for their moments. And some of the original students that did it with me um, at our school did the first one, and they liked it so much, they're like, they did the second one. And then when we had the third one, a couple of them were like, I'm just going to, I don't ever want to stop doing this. It's become part of my, the the, the practice I'm going to give us at the end is some. some of my students have just taken on is like, The rest of my life meditation
1: but how do you get people because I feel like look you're so powerful and it's beautiful that his passing led you with so much passion to keep spreading this message but there's some people with a passing of a loved one that retreat yeah and stop living so how do you get people to embrace like you said the moments versus retreating and being angry at the moments because they know they're not going to be there forever so the idea of impermanence has the opposite effect versus impermanence inspiring someone. How do you deal with those people that impermanence actually shuts down?
2: Yeah. Everyone is different, and it 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 is true that it's almost how you have lived your life prior to that moment that will also determine how you are how you are able to be in that moment. Which is why I feel like this is a way to prepare people as well. Yeah. Um, because i know so much, we all we all know so many people that have lost someone they loved and they couldn't move on, you know, and it broke their heart so much that they couldn't um, find the joy or 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 live in the fumes of that love. Um, but I, I do think that in this moment now for us, there's opportunities to um, to shift our mind. I'm a firm believer that your life is lived through your thinking everything is our thinking and our thoughts so if I spend my afternoon worrying and worrying and a little bit angry and then worrying some more <laughs> it's Annie Dillard's quote my life becomes just nice. a sad life filled with worry and anger um, but if I choose and, and it really is a choice we're studying Viktor Frankl's book right now "Man Search for well, Meaning and and really talking about the choices we make every day this man was in a concentration camp and in the beginning of the book it talks about he made this decision consciously at the very beginning of his time there that he would not run into the wire that he would not commit suicide and his mind was strong enough going in and he and Victor had little techniques as well that helped him maintain his strength um, throughout that time in the concentration camp and so I really think that it is literally what I would say to you is mind training which is what meditation is, right? But also there's other things that we can do for all of us to help constantly train our mind. Like it's not just, oh, we say this at the yoga school, like I want this one-hour yoga practice you did to make a difference in the other 23 hours of your life. And I go, I mean all 23 of them. I mean, I want you to sleep better. I want you to dream better. I want you to drive your car on the California freeways as a more compassionate, relaxed person. What's
1: another practice, small practice people can do to start shifting their mind? Like that, like what you're talking about? Are there other so little suggestions? Like, what do you do every morning? What do
2: you do? I love you for asking oh, me okay. that. I was like, oh no. <laughs> I'll slip you a little five later. Give you make up the coffee for that one. The gratitude practice. Having a daily gratitude practice is my number one practice. And I say that because I would say to you, you know what, Tal, I've always been kind of... I'm a big gratitude process person, so I get it. You get it. I would say, like... Probably you and I both would say this. I land on the spectrum. We're all on the spectrum somewhere of of um, optimism and pessimism. And yes, all of I would say, say that <laughs> I would land on I'm a happy coconut. Like for the most part, <laughs> I've been that way from a young yeah. age. And if you look at Seligman's work with a learned optimism and stuff, the positive psychology we've had for 30 years now. It's exciting That's stuff. Good. We would say that chemically, maybe you and I were predispositioned to be happy. As
1: I always say, my resting place is happy, it's happy. It doesn't mean I can't be sad, bitchy, in a bad mood, angry, depressed. Right. But my resting like place is definitely
2: happy. And we're f- grateful for that, right? Absolutely. There's something to be grateful for. But we can also train ourselves through, um, we all understand neuroplasticity now, so yeah. it's through the neuroplasticity, ner- by strengthening those neural pathways that say, you know, I am... Um, I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm grateful rather than I'm worried, this is upsetting me, it's not fair, you know. So I feel like one of the simplest practices anyone can do, which is part of our closing practice as well, is to wake up in the morning and designate five minutes or even three to having a gratitude practice Which means it's different than you and I just being happy coconuts and being like, hey, this is kind of fun being here with you. The difference is when I choose it as a practice, it means I say the powerful words, thank you. Two of the most powerful words we can say, whatever word you put behind that, you've given power. Mm -hmm. And you've raised your consciousness. So instead of just like, this is fun. I love hanging out with you too. But ultimately it's like, you know what? I am so grateful that you gave me this opportunity and that you brought me. I'm grateful for that. Mm. Can you just feel the vibration? Can you just feel the consciousness lift? So to have it as a morning practice for me, and I've taught this for years, is just as simple. I use mala beads now. These are Richard's mala beads. But I used to use stones and beach glass and anything uh, tangible. I feel it's important to touch something. To touch something and say... Thank you for this opportunity to be with Tal. Thank you for Nicole's kindness in helping me get here. Thank you for, you know, my my time with Richard. Thank you for the love his family shows me like and it's like I could 108 like go so fast, you and know. And also I
1: think people don't realize you can find so many things to be thankful for if you actually stop. I think some people are like but nothing's going right right now and it's like but there's very little things you can be thankful for, too, that I think people overlook, which starts shifting the way you start looking at the world.
2: It does. And so, like, for me to say, well, I lost Richard, but it doesn't change the fact I'm still grateful that That's I true. had his love for three years, and I still have his love. No one can take that away from me, even in his death. That is real. That is that is a power of a gratitude but practice. I love that. That's a permanence. It's a permanence. It's like the impermanence becoming a permanence. It just
1: shifts the way... It, it it's been given to you. It's like it's still love, it just doesn't come in the same body or form. Yes. But that's like an interesting way for people to look at stuff too. I mean, how do you tell how do you help people? And I want to take this from two different angles because I think people struggle and I do think death is so uncomfortable for people. What advice would you give to someone in your position who is by someone's side whether it be their significant other whether it be a parent? Or a child that they're losing. Or even, look, for some people it's their animals. Like they get really close to their animals and that my becomes animals. heart-wrenching. What advice do you give to those people? A, how can you be there for that person? How can you be present? And also how can you... I find a lot of people struggle with the letting go, which can also be very hard on the person who's trying to leave. So what advice do you give in, in, to that person who's
2: in the middle of it? it that's... I've given a lot of advice in the last year and four months since Richard's passing. And and it's the same but also different than it was before I lost Richard. So I am in an, I was in a position of, as a teacher on a, on a spiritual practice, so this is something I had done prior to losing Richard. And I have such a different understanding of it now right. and such a different way of being with people. And again, everyone's different, and yet there's something so universal about... loss and about love and and grief and and these things but i think it is so important that people honor themselves you you have to take care of yourself first you have to find even the smallest ways it's kind of one of my hopes down the road is to have something um a a special meditation for caregivers because you need a lot of support you know to to be strong in that situation um but at the same time, you go through different emotions, and anyone who's listening to us that's been a caregiver, or lost someone, will will resonate with what I'm, what I'm about to say. Is there are times that you feel terribly guilty because you just feel like, why me? This is so hard on me, or um, I don't have the strength for this. I remember one. Evening was so awful. And I woke up the next morning at like two or three in the morning, always next to Richard. I was I'm like, oh my God, I have to tell my, I can't do this. I can't do this. I, I'm i not strong enough. I don't think I can do this. And by the time it came five or six o'clock in the morning, I was like, of course I can do this. <laughs> and, and it was this beautiful moment for both of us when we woke up that next morning to say, like, we got this, you know, it, but it's not easy. And so I think to tell, people who are going through this, it's just to allow yourself to feel everything, to feel what's hard about it, to, to keep communication open with the person that you love, but also with people that will support you through it as well. And um, I, I think I kind of come back to what we started with, which is love. Um, I really believe in my heart that love is the greatest gift. And if you can love yourself through hard times... And, and continue to love that person and allow people that love you to support you, I think we can get on the other side of, of death and loss. And, and my mom always said this, and I think she's so right. Other people have said this besides my mom, but <laughs> it's only your mom. But when it comes to your mom, it's more about. <laughs> but she's like you'll always be a little broken. You know what and I'm, and I'm okay with that.
1: Well I was gonna ask how um, how does grief evolve, change, and does it ever go away? I feel like that goes to what you're saying about always being a little broken.
2: Yeah, languaging is so beautiful, and and also challenging because it's that's for me it's like taking a Sanskrit word that you can't translate exactly, and I feel like sometimes a, a word like grief is like that. Like you, every person like has to live it in order to really understand it. And
1: well, what advice would you have given about grief before? that now has totally changed the way you look at it because you've actually been deep, deeply in it.
2: Deeply in it. I would say that it is... It's this... I would say it's a beautiful part of life. Grief. Grief is. If I had not loved Richard as much as I did, it wouldn't be as painful to lose him. Kael Gabron in the book The Prophet has this one chapter on sorrow. And he said, the depth of your sorrow will be the well, the depth of your love. And I always thought about that. It's like, I don't want a shallow love, so I don't hurt so bad. Right? We talked about that earlier. It's the same. So grief is like that too. It's like, there's something in it that is, you know, hard. It's something physical that you actually feel like a pain at times. And also it's something that it has a beauty to it. It has a be- The pain has a beauty that to feel it is. No, I'm alive. I'm alive and I loved. You know, it's, this is another goofy thing that I say to my students when we study the sympathetic, the nervous system. I always tease them. I'm like, "What's better to live in the parasympathetic nervous system or the sympathetic nervous <laughs> system?" And I always try to trick them. Right? It's fight or flight or rest and digest. And they're yogis, so they're like parasympathetic. Chill, zen, and I'm like, no way. So you don't want to like be chased by a tiger. You don't want to fall in love and break your heart. I like. I love looking at it that way. You got to get off the couch. You got to get out. The... We were designed as human beings to be chased by a tiger. We were designed as human beings to fall in love and break our hearts. I tell my students, do it, and modulate back to peace. And, and that's and how we
1: learn all of our. That's all of our growth is in all of those moments.
2: It really is. And then like you said, with grief, it's like, hold your grief. It is real, and unexperienced, but then let it go. And it'll come back, you know, and I'll feel that grief again, but then let it go. Remember Lord of the Rings? Gollum had the ring and he was polishing it all the time. He's like, my precious. Yeah. Of Remember that? I think we can do that sometimes with grief or anger or righteousness. I can polish that and be like, this is my precious. Do you feel like
1: some people feel guilty letting it go?
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: And how 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 does how do you grapple with that? The idea, I think, people maybe attach someone's existence to the grief.
2: Like, if, if I didn't, if, to an example, what you're asking me is, like, if I really loved Richard, I wouldn't get over it. Like, exactly. I would remain, um, you know, it's... I think it is hard to. It's hard for me to even wrap my brain around that because if I really love Richard, he wouldn't want me to live the rest. I mean, he really loved me too, so he wouldn't want me to be unhappy, you know. But I, I, I do think that that's a. It's a tricky. It's a tricky slope for some people, or a tricky a slippery slope, where you hold on to it a little bit, thinking that you're honoring that person. I was just about to use
1: the word honor. Like, how can you? how do you talk to people who are where you've been of this, like, deep grief and try and illuminate different ways of honoring someone that doesn't have to always be tied to um, depressive grief, like the grief that paralyzes you? Not that, it, I'm not saying, of course I'm sure it does at times. I'm sure you had your moments of so you can't function for that day or you chose to stay in. So, like, how do you, again, like, how do you modulate, like, moving on? How do you How do you do that? How does
2: one move on? right. <laughs> I remember there were days, and I'm I'm sure everyone can relate to this that has gone through grief, where I was, you know, just in bed. I mean, you hear people say this, and it's just like, why am I going to get up and go and teach? Or why am I going to, you know, I just don't feel like it. I just feel sad. I just feel like I got ripped off. Or even even cognitively in my brain, not even saying the specifics, but just a deep feeling of just like, I just don't feel moving I don't feel like movement you know and I think again it's it's tricky because I think you have to honor that sometimes and stay in bed and and cry and watch a movie or listen to music I remember one of the I did a lot of pilgrimages which I think is is healthy it was healthy for me anyway I had some of Richard's ashes and I wanted to take him to special places and and it's very cathartic to get in the car and drive out what is it the 394 to Mammoth Oh,
1: I forget. Oh my no, god. Nice. Something. Know it's just like same. this straight it's a beautiful drive
2: road like you just drive straight forever and you're like eh. I know. And I, I was listening <laughs> to like, you know, Tom Petty and screaming but then also just crying and crying and crying. But I guess to answer your question for me and maybe it's different for everyone, but what I would suggest if someone were here saying, "Die. I just cannot get past this. I just, I don't want to get out of bed still. I don't want to is to give yourself little things to do to honor that person or maybe that you that they might want you to do or that you just want to do that gets you moving like a little trip with ashes or to um go to their favorite beach and and even though you might wind up crying at that favorite beach it got you out of bed and you you were you were in you were in movement you were in motion you know and I think that that's you have to kind of honor them both and and it's, it shifts, you know, my time of wanting to just stay in bed. I don't experience that so much anymore, you know, after that, the year. and But I still, as I was saying earlier, imagine him walking through the door. or It was funny, the other day someone invited me to something. I'm so cool, like, on my own. I've always been a very independent person. But now, you know, they're all couples and I'm going to meet him and be like the extra wheel or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what, I don't even... this sucks it's like I this really sucks and I'm just like Richard you've ruined it for me you know I would have been fine before and now I'm just like now you're not here to go with me And this just sucks and so then you make those decisions right sometimes I go anyway and I have a good time and other times I'm like screw it I'm not gonna go I just feel like I'm you know missing missing that partner (laughs)
1: guys, I'm really excited to talk about the next Den Talks Live. If you live in the area and have not been to one yet, I strongly suggest that you do. It's a chance to get up close and personal, ask all your own questions, and you always leave with goodies and surprises. Our next one is about sex. We're calling it All the Feels. It's Mastering Sex and Relationships, and it is a panel. We have three incredible guests that are masters in their field. We have Sex with Emily, we have John Wineland, and we have Ryan Weiss. And again, don't be nervous. This Not only is this going to be so much fun, but it is a chance to just ask any fucking question you possibly can imagine. It's going to be at our La Brea location, Saturday, February 23rd at 7 p.m. Sign up now. Go to dentmeditation.com or dentalkspodcast.com. And please sign up. We will see you there. before you would have gone all the time and then now the absence of him makes you look at it totally different yes
2: that is really that's been um, something I didn't expect I thought I would go back to being my just independent Diana travel the world That's actually
1: something really interesting so uh, even though the person leaves their effects on you you are fully changed they're just not there so now you're actually readjusting to a new you
2: exactly right but it was I would say a couple weeks before Richard passed. I wanted to tell him how much he changed me and I remember it's a very emotional moment because he was like shaking his head like no and I'm like you better know that I'm not the same woman that it was three years ago and I even think on the other side of death like some of the things that we would fight about that I would hold on to you know on this side of him like you were right about this, you know, I really do need to like, pull away from this a little more spend more time, you know, not some really interesting things that he had always said that he was so, you know, so strong in his belief system or in like, how I could change or we could be different that on the other side of it, I have shifted. I've really shifted, and I might have just argued with him about another year or two. Yeah. You know, it might have been more like pulling deep. and now so I'm just now like, yes, I see. But I, so not the same person I was three years ago. It's it is, it is true.
1: So you think that's also part of like the adjustment is learning? You're a different person, but also without him. So now you having to learn. You're learning how to exist in a world. With it as a, a little bit of a different human being with a different perspective, yeah,
2: absolutely. Yes,
1: are there any? I mean, this is such a random question. Are there any moments about him you remember now so clearly that you actually didn't really think about while you guys were together? Like, is there anything that randomly hits you now? You're like, it's so funny. That's the thing about him that
2: I just think about all the time when it never really struck me while we were together. There's a so so often I just I mean, I missed so many things, but I missed the things that I guess you take for granted. I mean, I remember he would all, he would, we, he would, it was a school teacher, and I was teaching my yoga class and stuff. And I swear I would finish my class and no more than sit my butt in the car to drive home, and he would already be calling me. Because he'd be on break and he'd wanted to talk to me for a few minutes. And I remember like thinking, like, oh man, Richard, Jeepers, I didn't even like put my butt down. You know, but he was always like in connection with me, like sending me a loving text or calling me. We were always holding hands and he would kiss my hand and say, Do you ever get tired of me kissing your hand? And I'm like, who could get tired of that? But now I think of like I get out and I get in the, you know, my Jeep, and I'm ready to drive home and I'm like, you look at your phone. You're just like, "Call me, call me." Yeah, it's stuff like that, though. Just like God, when it was happening, I took it for granted a little bit, and I guess this is the thing I love sharing with you right now because I want to share that with everyone. Like, there are moments where you can still like be like, "Oh my God, this is so wonderful." Just sink into it, you know, and know and it's you, precious.
1: Yeah, you said earlier that love is the most powerful gift. I think is how you said it. Out of so out of everything in existence, for you it's love. Can you like elaborate a little bit on that? And then how do you differentiate gratitude and love?
2: One of my favorite all-time quotes is by a Sufi poet named Hafiz, and he said, "When all life's desires are distilled, you will cast just two votes: to love more and to be happy." Mm. And I, I've I've loved that quote for years. But when Richard passed. Um, I, we had like three services for him a Buddha service, our friend service, and then the high school had a service for him. And I had these cards made that I just gave you. On one side, say love big, because Richard's love was very big. He was six, seven. <laughs> um, and I wanted the kids, I wanted the message, I wanted people to walk away and remember to love. He did. But on the other side of the card is that quote. And to me, after his passing, I'm like, when you hear the words, when all life's desires are distilled, that means when we pass. When we pass, what will you have wanted? What will you have... When you take your last breath, what will really have mattered? When you're taking that last breath. And I will tell you what, I have experienced it. It's love. I mean, there's so many other things you can say, oh, I did this accomplishment, I... it's there's good stuff absolutely but i feel like it really is love and i think for so many people it's
1: hard to love and receive receive almost more than sometimes love i think people have trouble receiving it and being open to it and seeing it when it's there
2: yes is a beautiful lead into in the one precious life meditation which is a 30 day meditation a 5 minute meditation every morning and then a daily practice the first week, I ask people to focus on love. But if I said this to both of you right now, you'd be like, that's easy enough. But it's actually not. Right? You're going to go out and start driving in your cars and making phone calls and remembering something you forgot to do yesterday and getting irritated with someone that didn't come through with something they promised. Right. We understand that. So the way I described the gratitude practice earlier is, is a, it's a... Brain training It's totally a brain training. And um, if you get a chance to read Sean Aker's book, Happiness Advantage, if you haven't already, there's a chapter in there. He's a Harvard graduate and he's part of the um, positive psychology movement right now. And he talks about the Tetris effect. Tetris is a game, right? I'm aware, but I'm older, so <laughs> I've never I've played I so many Tetris, to but people. but I know about it. So it's the great. Tetris All is the basically the these thing. shapes are at mm-hmm. the top and they come down. So they basically paid too many these hours playing Tetris. Right. <laughs> yeah. So they paid these college students to pay Tetris for hours and hours and hours for days and days I could and have made days. Money off of this. Yeah, you could have made <laughs> money off this. And what they found is when these students finished, they would go out into their daily lives, grocery shopping and driving their cars and whatnot, and they started to see. The Tetris images in everything. So, someone in the grocery store would be walking in the cereal aisle and see how they could manipulate the cereal to create so the Tetris effect. And driving, there's a, a big truck coming and then a billboard, and they're like in their mind. So, what this particular research showed is that our, obviously, neuroplasticity, the way we train our brains, is through repetition and that actual images images are very important it's it's words it is also images and so i translated this uh, I, I didn't actually sean did sean Aker did this into being like simple things then. and what what do you want to train your mind to do because listen if you want to become the world's best warrior you can do it you can be an expert in worrying it's choice If you want to be someone that just lives their life from gratitude, then you practice every day saying, I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for that. And the next thing you know, like the Tetris effect, and this is a beautiful thing, it becomes unconscious. So now I'm driving through life in my car called Diana, and I'm just always seeing gratitude. I see this opportunity to work with Nicole, and I'm grateful for it. I see the fact that... um, I can love a man for three years and lose him and still be grateful for it. Like, I don't have to try because that muscle strong. is strong. That muscle has is just... But it's like my muscles here. I tell my students we do chaturangas and yoga. They're like push-ups, right? And we do them every day. I do them every day. And my back is strong. My arms are strong. But if I don't practice for three days, guess what? My muscles atrophy in three days. It's sad but true. It is oh. the same with the plasticity of your neural pathways as well. So if I'm not constantly practicing being grateful and I start to shift to practicing worry, then I get better at worrying and I'm not so good at gratitude anymore. So it is what we choose and it's how we choose to practice it that really creates that. So all of that to say I've decided that we can take love and do the same thing. We can take love and make that a practice of loving. So in the um, 30-day One Precious Life, I ask my students to create I've done it for them in their workbook, but two different forms that are going to be the uh, journaling that you do during your time. And one of them says, who you love. And every day you write, I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my dog. I love my friend. I love my... And and so maybe the first day you come up with like 30. You're just like, I mean, I really love these people. Then the next day you wake up and you remember, you know, I really love my grandma. She passed away, (laughs) but I really... You know, and then the next day you're like, I really, I just met you, but I'm gonna tell you what, I really love you. I love our time together. I love you. So every day you're adding to this list, and what it is is like your wealth. I used to, well, I'll talk about this in a second. So then the second list, if you're curious, is a list of what you love. And this one is fabulous as well because you start to go out through, through the day going, I really love this meditation studio you've created. I really love that when I get home, I'm going to walk on the beach. I love walking on the beach. I really love snuggling up with my dog. I really love the sound of um, the birds in the morning. I love the sound of the surfboard hitting the water, the gliding in the water. I love sipping my coffee. I love the smell of my coffee. I love it when it rains. Oh, and, and so you just go through this list, and, and every day... And again, you're going to get good at this. Trust me. You just start this and every day you're just going to start. It's like the Tetris effect. You start seeing it everywhere. You start seeing it. You're like, I love eating gelato. I love hugging you. I love it when you kiss my hand. You know, and so the more you say it, the more you write it, the more you experience it. And it becomes your Tetris. And for you, you think writing is a really important part of this. It's actually... I do. I do. So in the... In the 30-day meditation, this is an old practice. This is old Diana practice um, from the Shala, is I have them take um, a dollar bill, which we have little funny dollar bills made on one side. (laughs) And then on the other side, I ask my students to write the things that they are, the things that make them wealthy, the things that truly make you wealthy. And that winds up being those two lists, who you love and what you love becomes everything you put on the back of this dollar bill. And then I have my students put this dollar bill in their wallets where they will see it all the time and they realize credit cards have energy and money and banks and places, but that's not our true wealth. And trust me, when you take your last breath, you realize that's that's not your true wealth. But when you pull this out and you look at it, you realize this is really what makes your life rich and wealthy. And it's just this beautiful reminder. So when... Um, the last time we did this I actually had a bunch of them made and I did just for Richard once I did I did just my Richard uh, wealthy like why I'm wealthy because of him and then I stuck it in his wallet that I use all the time and every now and then I'll pull it out and just laugh when I see this it just makes me happy
1: it, that's beautiful I mean I love all of that because I think again we you said it earlier it's all choice it's like choice how you want to look at something choice how you want to feel and you can choose either way in every single moment. And it's. It, I think you're right. You're actually training your muscles and your brain to only choose this way. You'd have to like work really hard to start choosing the negative. Yeah. And that's amazing to it for is people amazing. to make
2: that shift. And I can tell you in some, I mean, I, those were told, it doesn't matter how good I am. I'm a good person. I try to do good things. Everyone will have suffering in their life. Um, a dear friend of mine, Jusang Rampashe, I remember... Uh, one of our friends was telling the Rinpoche this terrible suffering they were going through that had to do with their son. And I. And when they finished, I knew they were waiting for Chusang to say something really profound and compassionate and everything. You know what he said to them? Everyone suffers. And I remember thinking like, oh, shoot, dude, that wasn't the right thing to say, <laughs> right? But I think about it now all the time. And I think about Chusang, I'm like... I always tell my students, like, if I had a handful of beans when I do my meditation, I told, them I always do, like, my, I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful. And then I have my other beans where I'm, like, I'm praying for a towel because this is happening. I'm praying for Nicole because of this. And, da- da. and one day they were kind of all mixed together, like, in my hand. And I'm, like, oh, my beans are all my. I'm, like, such is life. Yeah. Such is life. The joys and the sufferings are always mixed once. together. And we can't avoid them. We can't, like, live our lives trying to Can avoid you say the that sufferings. Again, clearly?
1: Because I think that is an important message for everyone. The joys the sufferings
2: of life they're all mixed together the joys and the sufferings are all mixed together and you can't pick the sufferings out and put them over here and go like i didn't sign up for this i'm not going to have any suffering in my life none of us can it's always like um we would say joseph campbell said you know say yes can you say a big hearty yes to the adventure and i tell my students well well, you said yes to the adventure but then when something hard happens you're like but i didn't agree to this part but it's life you know, it's like there's—we're all going to be faced with some challenge and with some suffering. And the important thing to me is how will you show up for that? That it's not—it's not whether or not I'm going to get suffer and whether or not I'm going to be in situations where I'm suffering. You that's not—you will be. Right. The more important question is how will you deal with it? Now I say the best days have of my the life, choice. and you have the choice. The best days of my life are the days when when I really take responsibility for everything in my life. Everything in my life. Not just, like, the things that I love, that I've worked so hard for. But all the hard things, too, and I can sit with them and be like, you know what, these are mine. These are what I was given this, you know. Maybe I can even say I didn't choose this, but for some reason I was given this. But it's mine, and so how will I be with this?
1: It's funny. I used to say, and granted, it's not death, so I don't even want to compare it, but I had, like, a ton of fertility issues. And, of course, I was sad, and anyone who's with me knows it was like a very emotional roller coaster. But all in all... I was usually, pretty okay with it, and because I would say exactly that when people would be like, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm like, It's my thing, and that's kind of how I would say it is like, It's my thing, and I meant exactly what you're saying is we all get at something, we if all not get many, some many things. things, yes. And that was clearly mine, and I, it was very clearly mine because no matter which way I tried, it just kept showing up, and I and that's how what I used to be like, I'm like, It's my thing, I'll do my best to like see if I can go this way and that way and fix it or work with it, but like everyone gets something this is mine so like i'm just gonna like accept it and keep moving forward but it, it's it's funny and again i don't want to compare it to death it's all very different things but i remember that those were the words i used to use it's my thing but we should
2: compare say. it i mean we we absolutely i love that you brought that up because that is life it is like what we you know death is something that we were all experience And i'm so grateful you're willing to talk with me about it but it's you know uh, Victor Frankel's book "Man's Search for Meaning" was written back in 1949, That's and I amazing. tell my students it is absolutely pertinent and as and powerful resonates. today because what you went through with fertility is like that is your that is your life, that is your love, that is your happiness, and so the question really is how, like you said, you know sometimes we can't fix things, you know, but we tr- but we try. That's part of it. Like, what can I change? What can I do? Um, the quote for last week by Victor Frankl, when we I'm going to butcher it a little bit. When, we, when we're unable to change something, we're forced to change ourselves. I butchered it.
1: No, no, but that's... I mean, I love that quote because it is so true. It's like, you know, what do they say about, like, insanity? You keep, like, bumping your head up against the wall and expecting it to change. Right. But it's... I used to say that, again, with the fertility. I used to tell people, like, if you want to be a mom, you're going to be a mom. It might not look the way you thought it was going to look. It might not come to you in the same form or shape but it can absolutely happen to you and I give that advice to people all the time some people really accept it and I can tell some people really struggle with it and we're all on our own journeys but my point to that was exactly that which is you gotta remember the bigger idea of what it is you're you're growing towards and know that it might not come exactly how you want it but and you know I have a beautiful baby girl. I've not been a baby anymore, but like a toddler at home is amazing. We adopted her and I wouldn't change mm, any of it. Beautiful. To get there, But part of it was also like, all right, like very quickly like changing direction for me. Of just accepting like this is my thing. This is what's happening. I'm not going to dwell and you know, let me what can I do? I know I want to be a mom and I know that there's a child out there for us. That's so, absolutely beautiful. But it is. you got to change it. You got to change you. You got to look inside and shift like what is your block? Like what's happening?
2: I hope that who's ever listening to us can see, like, just through your example in talking about this, like it's applicable to everything. Yeah, there is nothing that I can put aside and say, like, oh, you know, but it doesn't apply to this. Right. It, it's the fiber of life; it applies to everything.
1: Has it? I mean, obviously, you have now have very specific workshops that you're doing, but do you feel like his passing has changed your teaching?
2: Yes and no, I. I love to teach, and prior to being in, um, I'm not sure if we mentioned this earlier, but prior to being in yoga, I was in the world of psychology. And so it was very, my degrees in psychology, obviously I talk a lot about therapists and Viktor Frankl and stuff, but I've really woven those two together in my life. And my mission statement every morning when I wake up is just, I want to inspire people to be their most, beautiful version, healthiest version of themselves, mentally, energetically, and physically.
1: And if you had to boil that down, and I know it's hard to do, to one statement, what do you think the key is to being the happiest and best version of yourself?
2: Say the question again.
1: So if you had to boil down, like your mission statement is to help people be the best, happiest versions of themselves. Excuse me, my voice is cracking. If you had to give one key if i could tell you one, one piece key. of advice okay. on how to achieve that for yourself what would
2: it be to be true to yourself i think that is the most important thing i think we don't realize how much we're trying to live for other people or even live for an image or live for what we've seen culturally or or in you know we it becomes like what we think we need to do or have to do or whatever rather than something from a very deep place within ourselves that really knows ourself enough to know to be true to ourself. What is it really that, you know, that I'm drawn to do in, in any way, in and any situation. No matter
1: what you think people might feel or think or react to it.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's just hard to do
1: for a lot of people. I and mean, that's hard. And I think that's with everything we've been taught since we were kids. It's so hard to shift out of that. And like, trust that you got this. Right.
2: One of the things I love about yoga, it is the one thing that we can do that rather than living externally like out, you guys out there can't see my hands but I talk about with my hands. <laughs> me too. And it's like, "Oh, I get to do this podcast with Tal and I feel so good and I feel like I'm successful and everything's good and uh, I go to yoga tomorrow and no one shows up for class and I'm a bad yoga teacher and no one likes me and <laughs> But life is like this, right? Oh, everything's good, it's bad, it's good, it's bad, oh, I'm, I'm great, I'm not great. I'm... And it's all this external stuff. But yoga is this the one thing, maybe there's a lot of other things, but yoga is this one thing that we do that the journey is this direction. And so we look at the koshas, pointing, pointing inwards. It's this direction towards my heart, where we go into the deeper layers of who we are, and it is in those layers I believe that we're able to find our... So the layers are called koshas, the sheaths. And we go from like your body sheath to your mind sheath to your energy sheath to this place that we don't even talk about a lot called Vijnanamaya Kosha, which means your, your, your wisdom. And it's not knowledge. It's not from your head. It's from a deep place. It's your, I call it your internal yes. And I think that when you can start living a little bit more from that place this way then this life is good life is bad is we're able to really sit with that more in a different way
1: yeah you're able to find the constant that's always there versus defining it by good and bad Yes, it's like the you which is never changing whether it's, it's good or bad out there. There. yes and i always i mean that's what i always try and tell people too is like that doesn't change and that to me is comforting But going back to the impermanence mm-hmm. question it's like this is always with you but the outsides are going to constantly change, no matter whether you want them to or not. Exactly. And you don't have control over it, as much as, we, as so many people try to. I think this is a great time for your four use because you have so many amazing tidbits. So these are four quick questions that are takeaways for our, our listeners. Quick questions. So you might have already given this, but maybe you have another one. What's one great piece of life advice that you have?
2: Practice gratitude every day. You'll get better at it. What's
1: your favorite book?
2: Well, there's so many, um, but since I'm reading Man's Search for Meaning right now, I would say that I say that these books should be in your yoga library, and these books should be in your human library, and I feel like that should be in everyone's human library. I
1: agree with that. Um, type of meditation you rely on the most? Gratitude. What's your favorite self-care hack or current obsession?
2: My current obsession is earthing. And those of you that aren't familiar with the term, it has to do with ions. This is a magnetic planet, and we were, as humans, meant to interface with the planet. And um, we have negative ions, positive ions. I'm sure a lot of you that are listening to us uh, have heard that we get uh, positive ions from lighting, electricity, uh, satellites. All of our devices, uh, all of those things create positive ions. And unfortunately, we're getting too many positive ions and not enough negative ions. So the place that we get negative ions is from nature, from being out in trees, from uh, water. So one of the best places you can get negative ions is um, the ocean or uh, waterfalls, rain. We don't have a lot of rain here right Right. now, rainstorms. (laughs) Um, and what we're finding is and I have to give a little credit to one of my teachers is Wim Hof he's from the Netherlands and um, when I started studying with Wim Hof one of his major passions was about getting all of us back to nature because we've in our world of like all the beautiful things we've created we've just sort of pulled ourselves away from our own nature and being part of nature being a part of this planet And and let's say this, it's interesting for all of us even to think, those of you that are listening, how how often we go from one box to another. So I'm in this box, the den, which is a beautiful box, by the way. (laughs) But then I'm going to go get in my box with four wheels, I call a jeep. And I'm going to drive for two hours. And then I'm going to go into my box, I call home, and spend some time there. All of that time in boxes couple things are happening. W- Wim talked a lot about, um, we're not, um, using our immune system anymore, our vascular system to modulate temperature. You know, we're always staying in that state of homeostasis mm. rather than exposing ourselves to, um, to heat and to cold And the body, the vascular system dilating and contracting, we need that. It's like being on the couch of life again. If I just stay in my boxes, I'm on the couch of life eating cheese puffs and I'm not developing a strong autoimmune system and I'm not having a strong vascular system. I feel like my husband would like the couch of life. (laughs) (laughs) I like to call it the couch of life. That's not a whim thing. That's a gigantic thing. So then part of that was actually grounding. So we were, as humans, we were meant to ground. And the grounding being our bare feet or our hands or any part of our body touching the earth is a way for us to ground and also get those negative ions that we need in order to function properly, just for our bodies to function properly. So what they found, the research of um, when folks are not getting enough time or not getting enough negative ions, they have too many positive ions, is that there's um, their body's just filled with inflammation, and and there's and there's a lot of say? other research that that's um, being done on depression, um, autoimmune diseases, um, so many things out there. So basically, one of the easiest things that we can do in order to get more negative ions and to ground is to go barefoot. So at night, you know, in the parks, in the grass, or to go to the beach, to walk in the ocean. I love being barefoot. I love being barefoot, too. So that's basically it. It's like take your shoes off when you can. Take your shoes off because unfortunately what's happening, even when you're not in the box, so I see people outside, and you are, if you're in nature, you are getting more negative ions from being on the freeway than being around a bunch of trees. Um, even um, pine needles give off negative ion, ions when the wind blows through them. So you are getting some there, but with the grounding, we need to have our skin touch the earth in order to ground. And if we're wearing shoes, they're made of synthetic fibers. You're not grounding. If you're walking on a street that's made with um, concrete, it's not a natural fiber. If you're on stones, you're grounding. If you're on concrete, you're not. And the shoes just create a barrier in between you. Sand grounding. Sand is grounding, dirt's grounding, all of that. My parents. Kick off your shoes, guys. I kick off your <laughs> shoes. So I was saying, I was working with um the Dear Jack Foundation that works with young adult cancer survivors, and I teach them yoga and meditation, and um and also I teach them breath practice. One of my favorite things to teach is breath practice. But when I teach them the earthing, it's like I think everyone's favorite thing is to well, really respect
1: being a child.
2: It does. That's what I love. And you just you realize you'll sleep better at night. You'll be happier. Um, it really regulates your moods. So when you think about, like, this is um, our medicine cabinet as is, is our hormones. It's, it's our, you know, so dopamine, adrenaline, cortisol, all that stuff. We should naturally be able to melatonin, adjust those levels ourselves. But because we're spending so much time out of our nature, the way we were designed, we're finding it's messing up our medicine cabinet more and more. so interesting. Oh, my
1: God, we could do a whole other podcast on earth thing. Thank okay. you
2: for bringing that up. So, oh, and... There's an amazing
1: book that you're handing over right now, which is Earthing, the most important healthy discovery ever. Clinton Obers, Stephen Sinatra, what a great last name, and Martin Zucker, and it tells us everything we need to know.
2: You have to get the book. There's so much on earthing right now. If you, What I would recommend is when you search a Google search, do negative ions earthing, but this book is fabulous. But there's so many articles right now written. You've given us so many
1: recommendations, and this is, I, I mean... I want to close, but before we close, because I've taken up so much of your time, one piece of advice for those who, um, what's the advice for those of us who are not necessarily going for grief, but our best friend is going through it, or a family member, someone that we, we're not the ones who are in it, so they might be pushing us away, because I feel like almost all of us have been here, and I like you said, death is uncomfortable, what can those of us on the outside do for those who are on the inside?
2: That's a beautiful question. I can always speak for myself when it comes to something like this. But what I appreciated from people was their willingness to speak about it. it and even just to reach out and say, I love you, I'm so sorry... I want you to know I'm holding a space for you. Because sometimes when people don't know what to say and they feel like they'll say the wrong thing, they don't say anything. anything. And that hurt me the most. Or when I would see friends I hadn't seen since Richard passed, when they would just be like, how's the yoga studio? And how's, you know, your dogs? and um, Or or it was a holiday or something. Like, how's your Christmas going? And I'm like, dude, my Christmas is (laughs) wrecked. (laughs) You know, but it, but it was, you know, it was one of those things where I just, and you don't know the right thing to say. It doesn't matter. There's no right thing to say, but just to say, I love you. And I can't imagine how hard this is for you. And I just want you to know, I love you. Like just speak. And if, and if they need their space, give them their space. But in that space to just in little ways, just reach out and give little, I love you I'm thinking of you. I love
1: you think I'm thinking of you. Reach out with zero expectation of what you're getting. Yes. Because we don't know what someone on the inside is going through. So they may get it but not be in a place to respond. But that doesn't mean you're not hearing it.
2: Right. And I do think when you're going through grief, you don't want to respond to everyone. I don't want to send everyone a long text about how I'm feeling or an email or or even very few people you want to launch into like how you're actually crying every day or whatever. But just as someone to reach out and say, if you did need to talk about I'm crying every day. I'm a hearer. I
1: think that's great advice because I do feel like people get paralyzed with the fear of fucking up, like just saying the wrong thing. Nobody wants to make it worse. And then I I do know a lot of people then ignore it. You're right. And act like it just doesn't. It didn't happen. Yeah. Which it sounds like is way more painful because it's so present for you.
2: Yes. I remember hearing someone say, if you don't know what to say, don't say anything. When I heard that, I was like... (laughs) have you been through grief yourself? I'm like, that's, please, please don't give that advice. Like, yeah, please say something. It it can be two words, you know, but say something that's just supportive.
1: Thank you. So thank you for being so open with us and talking with us. Thank you. And you guys don't forget, she's going to do the five minute meditation for one precious life. And she's also going to give us a practice that we should all try and do for a week. And let's start seeing how it starts shifting our perspective. But, Richard sounds like he's still with you every day and such an amazing man and this gift that you two together are now giving all of us is really
2: beautiful so thank you for that thank you I do feel like it's a bit of a team effort yeah no it, really, it feels
1: like it feels like the yeah. two of you have kind of created this together this new meditation and this these workshops and it's it's beautiful so thank you thank you
2: meditation we are going to do is part of the one precious life and when people commit to the 30-day meditation and practice I ask them to do a 30 um, a 30-day commitment to a series of things one being a a morning meditation which is five minutes and that's what we're going to do here today Um, but also part of that is um, a daily gift which is a, a piece of gratitude a daily practice, which um, the first week, which um, Tal and I are going to invite everyone to do with us, is a practice on love, and and then at the end of the evening, there's what we call a reflection, and at the end of the day, you kind of do an assessment of how you spent the moments of your day. Um, so, let's just ask all of you out there to consider doing a one-week version of this one precious life practice with us. I think. Tal has already agreed that she's going to do it with me for a week. I love to have reminders. I think having tangible rituals are very important. So i I'm want to ask all of you, if you want to take this commitment with Tal and I, to please get yourself a prayer thread, which is a tradition in Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism. It's just a simple cotton thread that you can use to tie around your wrist. Maybe a red thread is what I do with my students Um, That'll be there for your one week to remind you of the commitment that you're making, the promise that you're making to yourself in this svadhyaya, this self-study. Or you can use something as simple as a mala bead or a bracelet or a ring or something that's precious to you that you know you're going to wear for this week that will remind you of your commitment to this. The first part of your commitment is going to be to choose um, something daily that you're going to be grateful for. We're going to call that your gift Let's say that the first day you're going to be thankful for your mother. And so all day you're just going to be thinking of your mother, maybe sending her a message or whether she's still with us or not to just be sending her love and gratitude for for her being your mom. The second thing you'll commit to every day is what we call a daily practice. And for this one week, I want your daily practice to be around love the simplest, simplest, most powerful gift. So in that, I would like you to start a journal that has who I love written on it, and another page that says what I love written on it. And every day, I want you to fill it with one thing, five things, 10 things of who you love and what you love as part of your practice that day. Now, during the practice, you're also welcome to share that with others. So I had one of my students, it was such a beautiful example. He had um his pilates teacher who's been his pilates teacher for 7 years and one day he's doing the one precious life and he walks up to her and he said I just want you to know how much you mean to me and how much you've changed my life and how much and he went on for a bit and he was a little teary when he was saying it and she burst into tears and hugged him and said how much it meant for her to hear that from him and we were just saying you know you have people that you love and you know you like you know you love each other but you don't say it you know, just take moments during this week to just stop and tell people that you love them. I, and I love this practice too in my life. I'll be hiking with the dogs or something. I'll just stop and I'm like, I love my life. Look where we're hiking. Look where we live. You know, of course I'm talking to my dogs, but uh, it's another way for you to, to say um, the things you love list as well. So that is your practice, and then I'm going to ask you to, at the very end of the night before you go to bed, to do a self-reflection, which is just a quiet moment where you might sit or even lay in bed with your eyes closed and go through, of course, the Annie Dillard quote again, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And just go back, and how did you spend your day? Start with the morning, when you were driving to work, or when you woke up, when you were brushing your teeth. What were you thinking when you were brushing your teeth? Were you worrying? Were you excited about your day when you were driving to work or walking to work? What happened in the first part of work? What happened during lunch? Go through your entire day. Just do a little assessment. And give yourself that time to really reflect on what happened. And then, of course, lastly, for the one week, we're going to do, um, preferably in the morning, but it could be at night, a five-minute meditation. And this is the meditation. You are going to begin with a mantra, three lines that I will give you when we start the meditation. And the lines are, how, my days are limited and precious, how will I spend my remaining days? And how will I spend today? That is your mantra. We're going to go into 10 breaths. And uh, when you're breathing, I'm going to ask you to put your right hand over your heart and your left hand over your heart. And after the breaths, we're going to take a moment to go over at least five things that you are grateful for. And with every gratitude, I'm going to chime the bell. And when we finish, you are going to say, Thank you for today. And I'll chime the bell again three times. And that is the meditation. So close your eyes, get into a comfortable seated position, kind of let go of what you're doing later today, what you did yesterday, and try to sink into this present moment. And we'll begin. My days are limited and precious. How will I spend my remaining days? How will I spend today? Bring your right hand over your heart and your left hand over your right and take a deep breath in. And exhale. Take a deep breath in, heart wide and open. And exhale, let the shoulders drop. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Continue to breathe in. Just continue to breathe. Just allow yourself to move into a space of quiet presence. And turning your mind to the thought and the feeling of gratitude. Try not to overthink this, but instead allow your gratitudes to come from a deep place within. Like they surface up through the water and present themselves to you. When you hear the chime, allow something to bubble up. Holding this in your mind as a gift. Feel blessed, feel grateful. Holding this, you are so lucky. And as you're holding in your mind, this gratitude, we say, thank you. And allowing a second gratitude to bubble up through the well of you and surface, might even surprise you. What shows up? You smile. Feeling blessed. Taking a moment to hold this as a gift. Feeling lucky. Say thank you. third person thing experience gratitude moves up through you and surfaces as you hold it you're blessed this is a gift hold it as you feel immensely grateful say thank you deep breath pulls a gratitude up through you to the surface where you see it hold it in your hands looking at this smiling, feeling joyful how blessed how blessed you are sit with how it feels to be grateful for this more thing makes its way up through your being to the surface as you hold it in your hands feeling so grateful blessed, honored as you hold it in your hands you see it differently you see it through the eyes of gratitude that feel like it is a gift, it is precious, and say thank you. With your hands over your heart, you're feeling these five beautiful gifts that have risen up into your consciousness that make you feel so wealthy, so rich, so blessed. We finish this gratitude practice with two powerful words. Thank you.
1: Dentalk's podcast would not exist without these incredible people. Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Dentalk's podcast, and join us there.